This is episode 105 of Quadrants of Mental Health, part two. Moving on with the guest Lee Nelms and your host AJ, let's dive right back on into this phenomenal interview. Hello and welcome back to Quadrants of Mental Health. I have as my guest this week, uh, Lee Nelms. She is an attorney in the Richmond area, been an attorney for over 20 years, and she is a guardian at Lightham, um, better known as GAL has um, over 30 cases uh, as a GAL in addition to her other work. And she has two daughters, 17 and 16. 16. 17-year-old would be 18 this month? Yes, about two weeks. All right. So we were talking about being a guardian at Lightham and what does it mean and the role of the guardian at Lightham. And she quoted some of the statutes from Virginia Supreme Court, which I did not know. And I'm hoping that some of you did not know, but we really want to paint the picture of parental responsibility and obligations of the guardian at Lightham and what, what, do we, what do we need to do? What do they need to do? And one of the challenges I asked you earlier was if the guardian at Lightham was not fulfilling the role, you mentioned some document that they needed to sign Yes, some courts have gone to um, having guardians um, fill out a sheet indicating whether or not they've met the duties and responsibilities set forth in um, Rule 8.6. So we have to indicate whether we've Mm. met with the child, when we've met with the child, for how long, um, whether we've um, obtained records, you know, so on and so forth. And done your due diligence as far as um, being comprehensive in your approach to the child. So me, me... said such a broad word, but to me, being comprehensive would mean you would talk to both parents. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Or talk to, like you said, would even talk to grandparents. Yes, if grandparents are involved, um, absolutely. Anyone uh, who's involved. Anyone who's involved. Okay, if it's aunt, uncle, anyone that's involved in that child's day-to-day life would be someone you would talk to? Yes, or anyone who may have information. Sometimes you'll talk to a parent and they'll say, you know, my mother or my father or, you or my know, friend, my, my brother has friend. information and, you know, okay. my brother's been involved and has seen X, Y, Z happen or has yeah. observed, you yeah. know, such and such, then absolutely. I like okay. to get the information firsthand. Yeah. Cause you know, one of the challenges I have being a counselor with um, kids and working with families too, it's I always tell them it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Absolutely. absolutely. You can just talk, talk, talk all you want but what can you prove? But a lot of times, in in some cases, is what you they can just say anything and it's believed, right? And there's nothing substantiated at all. And I'm like, okay, but where's the proof of that? Right. And it's it's hard for me to make a representation of when I have hearsay. I, I I always ask people, what proof do you have to substantiate what you're telling me? Right. Because right. that's just really, I mean. Right. Now I was we were talking off air. And it was talking about a case in which a mom was um, had allegations against her. And she was diagnosed based on those allegations as having fictitious disorder, which is the new term they use for, um, what is that term? I can't even remember that one. Something by proxy. Oh, uh, Munchausen by proxy. Munchausen by proxy. They yes. changed it to fictitious disorder now. Oh, I, I was unaware of that. Yeah. So when we look at the Munchausen disorder, you know, we went back and got the, the child's medical records from MCV. Yes. 
And because we were wondering where did this term come from? Turns out dad, they had in their history as reported by dad. Now this is mom doing an investigation. History as reported by dad. Mom is being prosecuted for Munchausers. She has to have no access to the child at all. Wow. And there was no independent evidence provided? No. no. I found that out as counselor. And you've had a guardian litem for two years, three years, and they couldn't find that out? That dad was the one who said that mom was being prosecuted? And it wasn't in the report. The report was probably because it went through his whole medical history from the child. He was born at the hospital and he was being seen by doctors there. So it was pretty extensive. Multiple times, history as reported by dad, multiple visits, history as reported by dad. MCV never did a uh, evaluation on mom. There is no study or, or any documentation saying that mom had a Munchausers by proxy, other than what was reported. Now, how was mom and I able to find that information, but not the guardian at Lina? Well, they, they should be able to if it's fairly accessible. Um, I mean, the order, our appointment, uh, she gives us the authority to speak to schools, hospitals, physicians, um, mental health professionals to yeah. find out the information yeah. that we need. Of course. Because I was told that MCV had this on record. But, okay, let's see the record. Right. You know what I'm saying? That, that was my approach to mom. Okay, get the record. Let's see. Because you said you, you weren't evaluated by a doctor. I said, not what you know, mom, is what you can prove. Right. So she said, can I get these records? She got them. And we'll talk about her records now. No, the kid's oh, records. the child's records. The child's records. Yes, she should be able to get them. She got the I, child's records. Yes, and the guardian had let him can get that too under the... Um, under the order. Exactly. Uh, the order of appointment, so, I should say. So, so being that the guardian litem did not do that, that's why I'm saying I'm learning from you because the guardian litem could have done that. Yes. In fact, um, the on the back of every appointment sheet, it lists our duties and responsibilities. It also says at the bottom, upon presentation by the guardian ad litem of the order of appointment, uh-huh. The guardian shall have access to any records relating to the child held by any state or local agency, department, authority, or institution, and any school, hospital, physician, or other health or mental health provider who shall permit the guardian ad litem to inspect and copy such records without the consent of the child or his parents. Okay. So it gives us broad access so to So they have access whether records. you say they can have it or not. Correct. Correct. <clears throat> Because I always go on it's not what you say or what you know, it's what you can prove. Yes. So when a parent says something to me, I'm looking for what's the evidence, where's the documentation right. to substantiate it. And I tell parents, and this is where good record keeping come in play. Now you help me with this if I'm wrong, okay? Um, let's say if I you're my GL and I've emailed you documentation. I've texted you documentation. I've phone called you and I've documented it. And I've documented over six months, right, of, of you not returning phone calls or you did return a phone call, whatever, you know. I can use that as evidence if I documented that. But I can't just come and say, well, I've been trying to talk to you for six months and you never called me back. 
Right. I mean, and, and I always tell people, um, parents, when dealing with the other, if there's a problem or a history of, of something taking place, I always say, go out and buy yourself a notebook. Yes. Uh, and you're, I know you're talking in terms of the GAL, but buy yourself a notebook and document the date, the time, and describe the event that happened. Because exactly. later on you may need recollection, or and that is your contemporaneous notes okay. as things have occurred. Okay. More or less, you know, that's something you can provide to the court as, right. as evidence. Because so, but, as evidence, because it's, 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 it shows a pattern yes. in history versus me just coming in court and say, well, she did this and he did this and she said that. I can show you on this day, this time, this, you know, and then you can, re if you read it, you will see a, a, a history there. Right. You know, and documentation is so important for parents. It is. It is. You know, to provide as well. You know, I mean, if, if everybody's going to, get documentation on you, then you need to at least, like you say, get that book and write down and document. But I've found a lot of parents will get frustrated and don't want to do that. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, it does take, it does take effort. Um, and sometimes if something happens, you might not be able to, to jot it down right away. So you may have to go back later and recall, but it's really, I can assure you, it's it's definitely worth the time and effort to do that because when you need that information later, you have it, and you can't always rely on your memory because, you know, when a case goes on for a year or two years, it's, yes. things start to run together over time, and, yes. you know, people forget. Yes, you're right, and, you know, I um, make it as simple than that with a lot of parents because I, I show them this right here. I say, you know, this is not a phone. This is a computer. Yes, it is. That has the ability to function as a phone, but it's really a computer. Yes. And if you think about this as a computer, you know what? You got voice activation. You can record things. You can do voice to text. Right. You know? Exactly. You get you can get a note app or, you know, do you have apps on here that you can just talk and text is there? So you can document everything. Yes. So you don't have to wait till you get home. You don't have to do you know, I, I use it for point. my notes. Yes, I do that you know, as well. And it, it's beneficial. I'm riding in the car. You know, I can talk. I'll edit it later. Yes. You know, but I see my phone. People call them phones, but I see them. I call them computers. Oh, absolutely. We've come a long way since flip yes. phones. Yes. <laughs> the flip phone was a phone. Yes. When you did the flip thing. That's a phone. <laughs> right. But now we walk around with computers. Yes. And they, they come know, in right handy. And you have access all the time, 24-7. Yes. You know, even if you don't tool. have, you know, you connect any Wi-Fi anywhere these days. Right. You know, it's truly amazing how far we've come. So it's very important to what? Document. Yes. And a lot of times that brings up another um, another thought is that parents will have videos that they want to share. Yes. And how do you feel about that as a guardian? Line? I, I like to see videos because to me it tells the real story. Uh, sometimes parents will present something verbally and uh -huh. I said, Well show me the show me the video you took and it's completely opposite of really what they're what describing. They so yeah. I go, Okay, here's how it really happened. And yeah. a lot of times it does back up and confirm what the parents been saying. Uh -huh. so well I find it very helpful. That's interesting you say that because I've had guardian items say to parents, do not record. When you're with the child, don't record. Well, maybe not necessarily with the child. That, I think that's a double-edged sword. Uh -huh. um, I think the judge can sometimes look upon that as being, you know. Well, it's something different if, you, if you're recording, you're asking the child questions, correct. leading questions. I right. say, yeah, you don't need to do that. Right. But if the child is talking or if there's a situation going on, you know, to tell a parent not to record. Because sometimes they may record and don't ever use it in court. 
Right. You know, but I've had a case uh, just popped in my head. I mean, everybody was recording. I mean, you know? it, it can get a little out of yeah. control. Um, and yeah. what what I don't like is when one parent maybe will set up an, uh, a recording and then, you know, basically bait. entrap or bait the other yes. parent to say, okay, now I've got you. That's yeah. really never looked upon with yeah. any favor. Um, but they do that. And right. parents do that because Unfortunately, the, yeah. the, a case I was on, mom did that to dad. But when I met with mom, she said, yeah, I fight. I used to fight him. I used to hit him and kick him and call him names, you know. So I'm saying, really? But she had a um, restraining order against him because she was afraid. Mm -hmm. But in our meeting, she didn't sound afraid. She was like, yeah, I did that. I will do it again, you know. So when you share that information with the guardian lineup or other people, it's like, ah, yeah. AJ's just making that up. And, and like, I've actually wow. had a, a case very similar to that where the mom said, oh, I'm, af I'm so afraid of him and I want a protective order. And you yeah. know, she had recorded the dad coming to her house and banging on the door. And I said, well, show me. She said, I have recordings of it. I said, show me the recordings. Uh -huh. And it really was nothing like what she described. And yeah. I thought, okay, this is just not. I mean, so in that case. But it uh, still helps case, you to form an opinion. Oh, absolutely. Though. It was in, in my know. in that case, it was very helpful. Yeah. Yes. Still very helpful. Uh, but you recording know. can be a double edged sword. So yeah. it's got to be used with uh, right under the appropriate circumstance. I'll That's say. why you know I would say with the advice of counsel. Yes. You know, don't try to just do it on your own because you want to entrap somebody or prove a point. You know, if things are going on that the guard didn't lie to them or if CPS is involved, you know, yeah, you, you, if you need to record. But, you know, that emotional piece gets kicked up, you know, yes, and the rational brain goes offline. Yes. You yes, know, indeed. So that's the challenge that we have, because, you know, we, I would talk about the lower brain and a higher functioning brain that once once that higher brain kicks shuts down, it's like I'm in survival mode. Yes. I don't and hear nothing. I, I need to get you before you get me. Right. Reactions you are know? not always rational. Exactly. Or never rational exactly. under those circumstances. Exactly. You're That's right. why I like to show quadrants of mental health because you deal with the mind, body, and spirit. And I try to help people to stay in that higher brain yeah. and to think. And documentation is so important throughout this whole process. Let me ask you a question. What is the longest case you've ever been on? How long has... You know, one year, two years. Oh wow! Well, actually, I've um, I've been guardian ad litem for two sisters um, for probably four to five years now. Really? Yes, it wow. started several years ago. That's wow. probably the longest case, and wow. I've seen them um, age up through middle school, um, high school. One of them actually graduated mm -hmm. about a year ago. Aged out. Yes. Wow. So um, now, did they get in any trouble or anything during that time period where they they may have had some court involvement themselves? Um, one because of yes, one of them actually did have some limited court involvement, uh -huh. but um, sometimes sometimes that happens. It's yeah, not, it's not yeah, unusual. Yeah. yeah, you were telling me the story about uh, I think it was a judge who who warned um, two parents before yes, about that. Um, I've heard the story on several occasions, but um, parents who deal with a great deal of acrimony and the child is caught up in the middle and, and this judge said, you need to stop because your child is going to suffer. And if you don't stop, you're going to see problems in a few years. Mm -hmm. And the judge recalled one particular case and she said the parents, I had the parents before me on a custody case and the child was young and I gave them the speech, and don't you know, about six or eight years later, they were back in court because the child was before the court, happened to be before the same judge on a criminal charge. And she said, I, I looked at the parents, and I said, I told you so. 
Mm. So it's really important for parents to try to minimize that conflict. Right. Um, go, I, I love co-parenting. I love to recommend co-parenting whenever possible. Yes. Um, I think if both parents are willing, even sometimes when they're not, it can be incredibly beneficial. Beneficial, especially if they're willing. Absolutely. But we, you know, I've had a case in which uh, the the parents weren't willing necessarily to work together. They were they were coming in to prove each other wrong. Right. To show me that they were right. You know, so it's like, okay, it's not about that. It's about your relationship with your child. Yes. How can you improve the relationship with your child? What's in the best interest of the child long term? Because when parents fight, the children pay for that. Right. They and do. that's what they don't understand. So coming from the counselor, the parent coach, and or the guardian, Lydam, Akasa, at some point in time, you would think they would hear somebody say, I need to stop this fighting. Yes. You know. I mean, it, you are absolutely, absolutely on target. Um, parents, and often they don't realize that their actions are impacting the child tremendously. Mental health, yes. So uh, a question I ask is, if two parents are fighting, which one's the fool? Both the fool. Yeah. From the child's <laughs> perspective, which one of them is foolish at that time? Right. And they say both of us. I said, so why would you do that? Right. You know? And the sad part is this is when, when they don't record, when you have the parent pulling the child into the argument. Yes. Horrible. They don't want to record that part. Horrible. You know, it's usually you get the recording after I've done my damage. Now I'm going to show you the aftermath right. of mom or dad really acting a fool. Right. You know, in that moment. So what happened before? What led up to that? And, and that's a good that's a good point. I always like look on those things with suspicion too yeah. it's like okay i need to see like don't show me a five second snapshot like mm -hmm. you know there's a bigger picture oh most definitely always always so always a bigger picture you know like you see a picture of somebody falling in the ditch they pushed me but what did you do ahead of time exactly you know, that's exactly. See the whole thing and, and you know yeah. uh, it's never one person's fault no. There's usually two parents who don't know how to relate to each other. Um, and like you said earlier, things get emotional and then you're thinking with your emotional brain yes. and you're not being rational in the moment. And then at some point you realize, oh, wow, look at the damage yes. we've done. And, you know, so I think that's really where a good co-parent coach um, can absolutely make a difference. And that's one of my next questions for you. Can a guardian litem make recommendations to the parent, even though you are their for the child, can you make recommendations to the parents as far as a parenting class or co-parenting or parent education? Can you recommend those things or who who would be in a position to make those recommendations? I mean, a lot of times I, I, I will explain to parents that I think they could benefit from co-parent counseling. Um, and I often, you know, will provide them with a referral. Um, ultimately, the court can order that. Um, in certain instances, the parents will do it voluntarily. Um, the courts have a list of um, referrals they make for um, court, uh, or I'm sorry, co-parent counseling, but typically it's a very limited. Um, typically it's, you know, sometimes I think it's like four hours. And sometimes yeah. you can do it online. And yeah. that's not the type of co-parenting I'm talking about. I'm no. talking about getting before a co-parent coach um, yeah, that's in what person I do. As, yeah. as what you do. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times people just can't afford it. Um, and I don't think the courts have the authority to order it under those circumstances. But 
Um, yes, I absolutely do discuss with parents and say, is that something you'd be open to? Um, and it's still you know. at their discretion. Right, and it's still at their discretion, and then they, uh -huh. they can take the opportunity to follow up and discuss it. Right. You know. uh, but yes, absolutely. I, I was, if I think it's helpful, I wouldn't hesitate to, to raise it. Would you, would you talk to the mom or dad's attorney and say, I recommend that your client take this or do this class or, or learn something else so when they come back to court they can present you know some more documentation or evidence um, would you do something like that as well well typically it, it happens um, I'll discuss it with the attorneys and say here's what I think would be a good idea so when we go to court here's yes. what my recommendation would be okay please discuss with your clients see if they're amenable to it yes. um, and if they're willing it's something they're willing to financially uh, to cover so Absolutely, I, I do it. Um, you know, in, in conjunction with the attorneys. Yeah, I think um, that's great. It's a bigger I, part I of the bigger package. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I wish more attorneys would do that because it helps when you when especially when the emotions are so raw. Yes, and you can see it. You know, it's okay. You need some help in this moment because what's frustrating to me is when they come to me as you know, I'm doing co-parenting. I'm not your judge. Right. You know, I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in or a jail cell. Right. But when they go see and, I, and I'm using her name again because I don't know any others right now off the top of my head. But when they go see Dr. Nelson in that state, you know, I really feel sorry for them because they're going to them with a picture that's really not them on a normal day. Right. They get nervous. You know what or, I'm saying? Yeah. If I'm stressed out, I promise you I will fail any psychological test you give me. That's just who I am as a human being. Right. You know, and unfortunately, I've seen that a lot of times when when not just Dr. Nelson, I'm just saying just doctors in general, we go when we're stressed out and they make an evaluation on us based on that day, not looking at me. What's the trigger? What caused this to happen? You know what happened? Because I give you an example. I had a mother I work with. She had three children by three different men within a four year period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, trauma. I saw trauma. I said, OK, tell me what happened to you four years ago. Oh, my father died, and he was my best friend. He was my rock. I mean, my mom didn't get along. I didn't get along with my sister. You know, I said, wow, your whole That's, world changed. Yeah, can't help but have an impact. On you know someone. what I'm saying? Right. But, but yet she's being looked at because she has three children by three different men. Right. You know, which is, to me, it's like, is that the true picture of her? Or do, can you see trauma there? Right, right. You There's know? a lot of... There's a lot of different angles. Layers, yeah. In these cases, and a lot of yeah. different layers, as you said. Yeah, because she's going to get crucified in the courts now because of her behavior, you know. And one of the things I, I talk about when I work with parents is the iceberg effect. You know, 90% of the iceberg is below water. Right. That's a good point. You know? Right. You're looking at the 10% of her issues, which is her behavior pattern, right. which can change. You can chip away at those behaviors. Or we can look at below the surface and say, exactly. what's the fear, what's the stress, and what's the trauma? And, and I think it's important for, for guardians to do that, even though our job, of course, is to represent the best interest of the child. But I really think having that full picture of each parent, mm -hmm. it's really important to do that, to have perspective on yeah. the entire case. Yeah, because when I, when I used to do in-home, working with children, I always asked, how are they in school? I know they're having trouble at home with parents, or sometimes they're having trouble at school. But I say, how are you in school? What kind of grades you make? Are you, do you go every day? All of these things help me to form a picture of where the real problem is because I don't look at and evaluate the child based on 
how he interacts with dad or how do he interacts with mom or you know maybe he might be caught stealing or something like that there's always something that led up to that right you know right. and we but a lot of times we get judged and evaluated just on the behavior part of it exactly you know and and without getting to the root cause right. Right. And this is my message that I try to deliver to garden at items and probation officers and CPS workers. You know, there's a level of trauma there, but a lot of us are trained to focus on those behaviors. Right. And I was just going to say, you know, everyone brings everyone in each discipline brings their own components. Right. And their own training to it. So that's why. It's, so there's it's, value there. Exactly. It's important to look at every at every angle. You bring the mental health, yes. um, the history part, um, yes. you know, what's going on here, what's underlying the surface. Mm -hmm. You know, the mental health professional looks at that history. Um, the probation officer is going to be trained to look at, okay, what are the problems from the right. legal standpoint? The legal, so yeah, legal it history. It all yeah. comes together to give you a big picture. That's why it's um, important. And, you know, and when you mentioned the difference between when social services is involved versus a regular case or if the CASA is involved, you know, it depends on who gets involved based on what type of case it is. Yes. Right? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. But with the um, social services case, they do what they call a family partnership meeting. Yes. That's in Hiranko. Yes. Where all of the, everybody that touches this child will come to the table. Yes. They're very helpful. Yes, they opinion. are. I find very them extremely so. helpful. I love to have those at the beginning of a case. Yes. Because you got grandma, you got auntie, you got the attorneys, you got the, you know, the mental health worker, you got the in-home counselor, everybody sitting at the table and you really begin to see a different picture. Yes. But when you have cases that are not social service involved, you have the attorneys, you have the attorneys and the guardian lineup, or sometimes you don't have a guardian lineup, they don't want to meet like that. I'm saying, hey, let's 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 everybody get down, set at the table, and see what's really going on, and see we, how we can help this family. Yes, indeed, you know? it's very helpful to have a lot of perspectives. Everyone in there, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. Um, the other thing I find very useful is mediation. A lot of cases, some are better suited to mediation than others, but whenever feasible, I like to refer a case to mediation if I think we can resolve it um, particularly. And okay. I always tell people it's a good opportunity for us to sit down, not to drudge up the past, but to actually address some of the issues that are underlying this animosity, get right. them up on the table to move past them. And come up with a plan. Yes. And I, I remember being in a mediation a couple of years ago and the parties were just going, they, would, they just couldn't agree. They were just pound the you know on each other making their point and um i said tell what and the mediator had asked the question and the, one of the parties just gave an outright no i, I don't want to agree to that i said tell her why you feel that way and when the person said okay here's why i feel that way we were actually able to get past it right and they ended up coming to an agreement at the end of the mediation. But That's awesome. The communication's really important. Really important. Um, and yes. the understanding about sometimes just understanding why someone ha holds a certain position so yes. that you can address the underlying reason. Yes. I find it very helpful. Yes. Well, we have about three minutes left, and I have one more question to ask you, then I'll let you close out with anything you want to say. Um, as a guardian at Lightham, it appears to me that you're representing the court's that you have a little more teeth in a decision-making process than a lot of other counselors or people. Um, is that true assessment on that? And how can you 
help to shape that relationship with between uh, co-defenders in that, you know, because you can say you need to do this, you need to do that, or you shouldn't do this, you need to do that, or go see a counselor. So, or you can recommend mediation. So you have, you know, a lot of things that your, you know, hands that you can pick on, but how, is that a true assessment of what I'm saying? Okay. uh, So, so what about other guardian items or in this process? Do, are they, able to do the same thing or they you know because some of like we talked earlier you got some good ones you got some bad ones some do and some don't but you know but everybody can do that as a guardian item can make recommendations yes i mean that is and one of our our primary right make sure that the parent parent or parents follow through with it yes i mean and, and of course ultimately the decision lies with the court the judge gets to make the final determination as to how the case is going to go um but certainly one of the primary responsibilities you know in our role is to make after we do the thorough investigation present the information and to make a recommendation i mean that said the judge will often of course hear independent testimony from each party um, so that they, c- the judge has the opportunity to gather the info and ask any questions they want. So, yeah. um, but yes, absolutely. Ultimately, it lies with the court. But yes, we we right. do you can make our, recommendations. Uh, definitely make recommendations. That's awesome. Yes, that's awesome. so that's really important. Okay, we got about minute left, forty five seconds or so. You have anything you want to close out with? Words of wisdom or encouragement to families? Well, um, I, I would say definitely don't um, hesitate to reach out to the guardian ad litem. Unfortunately, if you get a case where you're not getting any response, um, you can always go to the court and ask for, uh, you know, someone to be replaced. But, you know, in, in most situations, you know, fortunately, I'm not like that. But um, definitely keep in touch with the guardian. Um be open, have open communication, and just be honest yes. so that all of the information can come out. And don't be afraid to um, to work with the guardian ad litem for the benefit of the right. child. And document. Yes, and document. Document. It's important. If, if they're not compliant, you know, but is there a pamphlet or anything that parents can get to know what these changes are at state level? Or, you know, where can I go to get more information about being a guardian ad litem? I mean, the role and responsibilities of a guardian ad litem. Is there a website they go to, or does each individual court system have those? Um, the courts may have some brochures. I don't know, but um, you can Google the Supreme Court rules. Rule 8.6 governs um, the re- responsibilities of a guardian ad litem. So that information is out there. Um, oh, great. You can understand what, what the responsibilities are, what the duties are, and make sure that those things are with and talk talk it over with your attorney or absolutely. ask your attorney if you have, if you have an one. attorney absolutely but if you don't have an attorney definitely you want to know what that is and and have a conversation i would say have a conversation with the guardian litem about that which you printed off so absolutely they know that you know yes indeed you know yes because ignorance is not bliss ignorance is expensive it very often is <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> and with that being said we are done for today i want to thank everybody for listening to quadrants of mental health I have my guest, Lee Nelms, the attorney in the Metro Richmond area, uh, also the guardian at Lightham. Thank you, Lee, for being here. I really appreciate this. You've been very insightful and helpful to me. I'm glad. And I hope you've been the same to the audience. I think you have. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, appreciate the opportunity to be here. That's awesome. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. That was the end of part two for this episode. So continue listening to Quadrants of Mental Health for more fantastic interviews like this one. And also check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Quadrant Studios One to stay connected to our growth in the Richmond area and beyond.